this is your first time here, you may not know our theme for this year is living by the book. If you've been here a time or two, you've probably caught on to that by now. Uh, we have a theme each year, and this year we're thinking about different ways that we can live by the book. We believe that the Bible is the actual Word of God, and therefore it's the best guide for everything we do in this life and prepares us for the next life. We've looked at a number of different series in this theme, but our current series is called Home Restoration by the Book. Uh, we're looking at the Christian home, of course. We've actually try to look at the Christian home about every year, but uh, this year we're looking at it a little differently, I think. Uh, we started with the premise that America is in a mess. Uh, the moral standards of the country have uh, gone downhill steadily during my lifetime, certainly. And uh, we decided that the solution to that uh, was not necessarily through politics or the courts or new laws or things that we sometimes put trust in, but the solution to that problem is one home at a time. Uh, so we're talking about restoring our Christian homes. Uh, by definition, since we're talking about things that challenge the culture, uh, this whole series is countercultural. Uh, that means it's not necessarily popular with everyone and probably won't make everyone happy. But we're trying to uh, go by the book, and sometimes it doesn't make people happy. Uh, last week, we talked about I will be responsible. We started with one home at a time, and then we narrowed it down to I will be responsible. And we talked about the loss of responsibility in this country and how nobody wants to be responsible for anything. Uh, responsible means being answerable. Who will give the answer? What went wrong here? What happened here? What's the problem here? Somebody needs to stand on the spot and say, that's my responsibility. I will take care of that. I will handle that. I'll make sure it's done right. Uh, so that's where we started, wanting personal responsibility. Today, we go to step two, which is we will restore the covenant. We want to restore the Christian home. Uh, somebody needs to be responsible, and we want to restore the covenant. Now, I switched from I to we uh, because, in theory, the couple in a marriage is working on it. Uh, but this applies to singles also because they're preparing to have that covenant someday, perhaps. But I think we will restore the covenant sounds good. Now, brief time out before we start. Uh, I could go right into this, and I know some of you would be distracted, uh, because this is a volatile subject, let's say. Uh, the subject of divorce and marriage and, and all of that. Divorce affects everybody. Let's start right there. Uh, if I ask everybody in this room that has been affected by divorce, uh, if you thought about it, everybody would stand up. There'd probably be a few two-year-olds or five-year-olds that didn't know what I was talking about. But everybody else would stand up. Every teacher, every taxpayer, uh, everybody is affected by the huge amount of divorce that we have in this country. If Once I had everybody standing up on that, if I said, now, you can sit down. If your family, if your personal family... You and your siblings and your children have not been affected by divorce. Very few people would sit down. Uh, it is endemic in our society. Uh, 
It's everywhere. Now, because of that, I want to give you this little time out. Uh, my position this morning, what I'm talking about, is that there are too many divorces in this country. Yeah, that, that's kind of a macro view. Uh, that's stepping back with a telescope and looking at the whole country and the whole church and saying, there are too many divorces. And I easily expand that too many divorces in this country to include too many divorces in the Lord's church. Because all the studies say there's really no difference between the percentage of divorces in the church and outside of it. Um, that's what I'm talking from. But the trouble comes, and the heat rises, if you will, when you hear it, not in the macro, but in the micro. Since everybody's been affected by divorce, when I talk about not divorcing and the Bible and, and all of that, some of you hear me talking about, well, he's talking about my divorce. He's talking about my kid's divorce. He's talking about my family's situation. And in my case, and in my kid's case, and my family's case, it was necessary. You know, there was no other option. I was there, and I know that, and Tandy doesn't know that. Well, I do know that. I, I know there are cases like that. I know some of you have been beat up and lied about and cheated on, and Nashville could use your story to, to write a new country song. I know that happens. I know there's really bad things that happen. I know there's reasons for divorce. Uh, we just had Jerry and Lynn Jones here with the Marriage Matters Seminar, and they talked about that. That When somebody does something illegal or immoral or hurts someone, that's different than a difference of opinion. Yeah. So I understand all that. Uh, the solution to that problem is try to hear me in the macro. Try to understand, I'm talking, that there are too many divorces, and what can we do about that? What can one home at a time do about that? Okay. Now, the second thing, let me mention this time out just to help clarify, is who I'm talking to. I'm talking to everybody, but the more unmarried you are, <laughs> the less married you are, the more I'm talking to you. Now, somebody's saying, what are you talking about? I'm talking to these young folks down here more than I'm talking to some of you that have been married for 50 years. Because they've got a chance to use every piece of advice I give. And some of you are past that stage. You can't use the advice I've given. Okay? So the more unmarried you are, the more I'm talking to you. Okay, that's the time out. Now, let's talk about what we've done to the covenant. Oh... Uh, are my slides on or the monitor off? Is it working today? There it is right there. Very good. Now I can see what I'm talking about. Uh, I know who I'm talking to. I just don't know what I'm talking about. All right. What have we done in this country? You can go to the card rack now and get the finest Hallmark cards about divorces. You can congratulate somebody on their divorce. This card says, you know why divorces are so expensive? The reason is they're worth it. You can buy that at the store and send it to somebody. 
prenuptials are very common. People go into a marriage and they sign a huge agreement, a big contract that says when we break up, here's what's going to happen. Here's who gets what and here's how this is going to work. And I've read about some of those that are very, very detailed about how everything's going to happen even when they're married, much less when they break up. Uh, In 2010, an insurance company offered for the first time divorce insurance. And they're still offering it. You can buy divorce insurance. And I've read that some people give it to couples as a marriage present, a wedding present. Uh, You can pay so much a month, and when you get divorced, it'll cover the costs of your divorce. That's available in this country. Uh, You can read all about divorce, or at least one side of it, in the book How to Dump Your Wife, written by Lee Covington. Let me tell you some things this book says. He says the book is dedicated to all the men who lost it all. Their careers, their reputations, their freedom, because of their wife. You women don't start throwing things at me. I'm, I'm just quoting here. I'm just telling you what this guy says and why he wrote a book. He gives advice in this book about how to deal with the guilt, how to get over that and not let that bother you much, Uh, how you should hide a girlfriend until the divorce is final, how to conceal money from your spouse, practical advice on that, how to hide it so she won't find it. And he hands out advice like this, kids cope with divorce. Kids have been coping with it for decades. They function. They stick it out. They make it all right. The main principle of this book, here's what I, the part I caught that I thought was pretty key. He said, you're not happy. If you were happy, you wouldn't be dumping your wife. You're just not happy. Uh, This is your happiness we're talking about for once. So this is a book written to men who just aren't happy. And he tells them how to go about getting rid of their wife. That's what we've done in this country. That's where we are. Okay. Now, we better define our terms before we go any further. What's a covenant? I talk about restoring the covenant. What's a covenant? Here's a picture of a real sweet covenant. It's a rainbow. That's just so sweet and kind and gentle. We sing about that, you know, blue skies and rainbows. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a a beautiful thing. Uh, God said, I promise I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. And here's a picture that seals my covenant. Every time you see this, you remember, I promise that. Now, I say that's a real nice little covenant, a more helpful picture of a covenant, probably. And what it is is over in Genesis chapter 15. And the rainbow's kind of G-rated. Genesis 15 is a little more PG-13 or R-rated, perhaps. And what happened in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 7, uh, God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to them, to him. He cut them in two. He cut a cow, a goat, and a ram, and a couple of birds. 
in half, and he laid the halves down in a line. Then he fell asleep, and it says down in verse 17, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared, symbol of God, and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land. And now Abraham understood that. We don't. In that day, when you made a covenant with somebody, promised that you would do something, a symbol of that was to take an animal and cut it in two and walk between the two pieces and say symbolically, May this happen to me if I don't keep my covenant. If I don't do what I said I'm going to do, may I be cut into. Yeah. And the Lord God used that picture from mankind and covenanted with Abraham that I will give you the land. Yeah. That's how serious a covenant is. Now, notice that there were two people involved in this, God and Abraham, but one was making the guarantee. One was making the covenant. One was saying, I will be responsible for this. Abraham, what do you got to do? Well, that's not a part of it. God said, I- I've decided I'm going to give you this land. And you wonder how you know that for sure? Well, I've covenanted. I- I'll show you here how serious I am. That's what a covenant is. Now, let's move that concept into marriage. Marriage vows usually have things like this in it. From this day forward, from now on, whether it gets better or worse, whether we get richer or poorer, whether we stay healthy or get sick, I'm going to love and cherish you till we die. Well, that's a pretty good summary of most various vows. Some people change them these days, and more modern ones leave a lot of things out like that. But that's what a traditional marriage vow is. It's got those kind of things in it, and somebody promises to do that till death parts them. Now, the way it works is the couple faces each other, and they hold hands, and everybody watches, and the preacher tells them. The preacher says, now, I'm going to ask you to promise this, and I'm asking you to do it in front of all these witnesses, all these people that are here, and in front of God. I want to know if you make this vow to your spouse, to your fiance, to your future spouse, do you make that promise in front of all these people and in front of God? Do you make that vow, that promise, do you swear, Do you, however the preacher says it, do you promise to do this, all of this? Okay, those vows, those promises are a covenant. And here's four things that a covenant is. A covenant is permanent. Okay? There's nothing in there about unless or accept, or in case of, it's just, I will do this till we die. 
This is permanent. A covenant is a sacred thing. That just means God's involved. God sanctions it. God performed the first marriage, if you will. He's interested in marriage. He he takes part in it when he is asked to be a witness to it. Understand this part. It is a giving of self. When when God made that covenant with Abraham, he said, here's what I'm going to do. And I didn't ask you what you're going to do. That's what the two people standing up here facing each other say. They make their individual vows and they don't say, now, as long as you do that for me, I'll do this for you. That's not it. It's a pure giving of self. It is, I will love and cherish you. Whether things get better or worse or we get sick or healthier, we get rich or poor, whatever, till we die. That's the vow I'm making. It's exclusive. A covenant is exclusive. It means there's never going to be anybody else but you. I'm making this covenant with you, and I'll keep it till we're separated by death. Now, that's a beautiful thing, folks. A covenant like that between two people. Now, understand... uh, That covenant, this marriage covenant we're talking about, has never been a perfect thing because sin gets involved. And sin messes it up. But still, the concept, that ideal, that plan, that aspiration is what has held couples and families and society and the world together better than anything man has come up with. This idea that God started of one man, one woman for wife as a help to each other and giving themselves fully to each other, becoming one, in fact, they're so much together. That's what's held the world together so long. Now you know what a covenant is. You know what a marriage covenant is. And my question now is, what have we done? What have we done to that ancient concept? What we have done is taken that sacred covenant, that, that beautiful thing that is so ancient and designed by God, we've taken it from a lofty, high place. We, we've taken from a place of exaltation where we believed that this was a good thing. That this is what holds society together. And we have dropped it in the dirt. We have changed it from a high and exalted covenant to a puny contract. We've taken this idea of marriage and tossed it aside. We've demeaned it into a contract. And a contract means I will keep this. Depending on my happiness. I will keep this contract as long as I'm happy. We've told ourselves that breaking this contract really won't hurt anything. And we've made it our society's firm belief that somehow kids will get over it just fine. 
as long as we're happy. We've taken the, the lofty ideal of a covenant and turned it into a poor contract. I put a quote on your handout for you. A lady named Judith Wallerstein, who is a modern woman with no religious baggage. She just wanted to study something from a psychological kind of point of view. And she, she decided she had study the effects of divorce. And she thought she'd study them 10 years after the divorce. And she thought she knew what she'd find. Because she, she bought everything that the world is, is saying about divorce. Here's what she wrote. I expected that most adults would say that divorce was a closed book 10 years after it happened. For children, it would be ancient history. I didn't expect the experience to endure so fully for so many. With high drama and passions and vivid memories and jagged breaks in development, intense anger, profound discrepancies in quality of life. Nor did I anticipate the problems that so many young people would encounter upon entering young adulthood. Although I thought I was being realistic, nothing prepared me for what I found. Mrs. Wallenstein found the truth. She went and asked victims of divorce, and they told her the truth. The truth is that divorce is a grenade that goes off in a room full of people. And the twisted shrapnel maims anybody close. Children and adults both, everybody bleeds. The family is hurt. The church bleeds. The education system is hit. The workplace, the courts, everything in society is hit with the repercussions of divorce. That's what we've done. Now, what do we do about that? Well, our first promise that we made last week was that I will be responsible. That's our first promise. Next slide, please. I will be responsible. Now, you see why we started with that? Because somebody's got to be responsible for this. So somebody's got to make this connection. Okay, now I know what a covenant is. I know how serious it is. And I, wherever I am in life, I know what i got to do about that. I'll be responsible. Now, today, I ask you to nail this one up on the door. We will restore the covenant. We, I, if you're single, will restore this covenant. What, what, what I'm talking about doing is taking what we have done to this wonderful thing and, and putting it back in a lofty high place. And having marriages with the expectation that we're going to follow that. We're going to have a covenant kind of marriage. Okay? I want to suggest four ways that we can, not, not we can, you can, in your home, restore the covenant to its proper place. 
Now, bear in mind, I left one out that would be on everybody's list. It's a, uh, the top-rated one, and we talk about it so often, I decided not to today. Agape love is what really makes marriage work. The whole concept of agape love is giving oneself to the other, wanting the best for the other. Two couples that practice that, that understand that, won't have a problem with divorce. But I decided I'll give you four other practical things, and we kind of understand that one. So, number one, be more serious about marriage. How can we restore the covenant in our homes, our lives? Be more serious about marriage. Do you understand now that this is a lifetime decision? If you stop and think for a while, how many lifetime decisions can you think of that we have to make? There aren't many, folks. Uh, Everything else we do. You know, what kind of car we buy, what kind of house we buy, what college we go to, what career we decide we're going to do, what hobbies we like. We can change them anytime we want to. It may be a little un, uh, unpleasant, but if you don't like the career you're in, go learn something else and do another career. If you decide, oh, I made a wrong decision on that. Almost everything else in life we do, we can say, well... That was a silly decision. I think I'll start over. Marriage, covenant marriage, is a lifetime decision. You got to be pretty serious about that. A lot more serious than we are, I think. So many people, and, and I can't put numbers on it or quantify it because some marriages work and some don't. Some work that you think that would never work, and some that you thought were a lock. Don't work. I, I, I can't quantify it, but I do know in macro, too many people get married too young. Too many people get married too quickly. Too many people get married for the wrong reason. Too many people get married that it's just a bad match. And I know all of those folks are in love. But when you think about Marriage being a lifetime decision, you've got to be more serious about it. You get counseling. I require that. I won't marry anybody that hasn't had some premarital counseling. It doesn't fix everything, but it makes you think about some things. It makes it more serious. I have people call the office, people I don't know. Say, I decided to get married this weekend. Could you do a wedding? No, and you're too dumb to get married. (laughs) Yeah, that's not a good idea, brother. And I just tell them that no, I don't marry anybody without four or six weeks of counseling first. Oh, okay, bye. Yeah, that isn't going to work, I don't think. So get some counseling from somebody and make you think about things and make it more serious, uh, make some considerations. Saw a cartoon one time, the guy was doing premarital counseling and a couple was sitting there and the counselor guy said, well, neither one of you should ever be married to anybody. <laughs> I've never told anybody that, but it, you learn things in counseling. <laughs> 
Sit down and think about it for a while. Count the cost I put on the handout. Count the cost realistically. So many people get married and they're so in love that they think, well, I know there's this little problem, but it'll get better. I know this isn't perfect maybe, but it'll work out. I know he does this wrong and I know she's got this bad habit and all that, but they'll get better. It'll be all right. No, it won't. It's not going to get better. Sweetheart, you cannot change him. Not going to happen. You may love him enough that he chooses to change somebody. You're not going to change him. And brother, you're not going to change her. So don't think marriage is going to do it. Getting married is going to do it. Get serious. And if there's serious problems, if there's costs involved, that if they don't get better, you're not going to be able to handle, then you shouldn't get married. Back that little ramp right there is where the groom and I usually come out for a wedding. We walk down that ramp and we stand right there. We stand back there first and listen for the songs. And when we get our song that we're supposed to walk out on, I don't walk out immediately. I turn to him and I say, you see that door right there that goes to the outside? I said, this is your last chance. (laughs) Some of you aren't laughing because you walked out there with me. I'm telling the truth. I said, that's why we put this door in here. You can get out of here right now and not have to go through with it. And they all, they're all so in love. They just look at me and say, no, no. Some of them say, no, she'd kill me. You know? <laughs> no, I've never had anybody go out that door. But I'm serious. It would be better to go out that door and let me come out here and explain to the crowd what happened. And I'd do it. Because that is better than getting into a marriage that you know you shouldn't get into. Hopefully you've made that decision before, but I give them one last chance. That's how serious marriage is, folks. Once you come out and hold hands and make those vows before these witnesses of God, you're in it. Number two, share everything, everything. In your marriage, openly and completely. I already said no prenups, no prenuptial agreements. They are going into a marriage with doubts. That's what they mean. It's going in with questions. It's going in with an exit strategy. Okay, I promise to love you till death parts us, but I've got this plan. That's not good. Okay, that bodes real bad for a marriage. Now, and you may say, well, he's got so much money that he's got to watch out. He's got to protect himself. Well, then he's got too much money. You don't want to be married to a guy like that. Now, when I was writing this down, I thought, well, I could think of one place for a prenuptial agreement. If a couple of 85-year-olds get married and, and they both got some money and they both got kids... Or one of them has money and they both got kids. And maybe a prenup would be all right. You know, we want to live the rest of our days together. But here's what this money is going to go to my kids and yours will go to yours or something. I can understand something like that. 
But I'm talking about two young people who are ready to promise they're going to live together for life and all of that and making some exit strategy in advance. It means you shouldn't get married. I read about a couple not too long ago that they decided they would keep their money totally separate so they'd never have any problems, any money problems. They even agreed to split the cost of meals when they ate out together. They kept their money totally separate. Well, they will never have any money confusion, but they'll never have any trust either. That marriage isn't going to last long. You've got to build trust, and one way that that's done is sharing everything. God's concept is you become one. You can't become one with two accounts. So share everything openly and completely. Go into it understanding that. Number three, keep your vows. Now, that's obvious, but let me add this. Keep your vows and never consider not doing so. Okay, what I'm speaking to here is an attitude of commitment. To me, this is the number one rule in avoiding divorce. Never mention divorce, never think about it, never let it cross your mind. It is not an option. And some of them you say, well, I, I couldn't do that. Well, then don't get married. Just have that mindset, that commitment, that that's not an option. Now, the reason I tell you that is there's going to be times in most marriages when that commitment, that level of commitment, is the one thing that keeps you together. Now, some of you out there have a perfect marriage, and you never had any battles and all of that, but most marriages, there's going to come some times when either you both do something so dumb or one or the other does something so dumb that you're so mad at each other that you can't talk to each other. Now, I know that's breaking God's rule. You, you shouldn't go to bed mad. You've got to take care of that before you go to bed. But at some point, you're going to break that rule. And then it just gets worse. Okay, and it goes into days. And, and finally, it's bad enough that if you have the option of divorce, somebody will start down that road. Okay, if you don't have an option of divorce, I'll tell you what will happen. Finally, one of you will crack. And go to the other one and say, well, this has been horrible, but I'm stuck with you for life. And I got no option. So we can either live miserably the rest of our life or we can work this out. I'd like to try to work it out. If you got no option of divorce, that's where you go and you work it out. And things get better, and you don't do that so often, and you learn to love each other more. All that happens. But if you've got that option of divorce in your mind, you won't go there. You'll bail the first time something bad happens. Okay. Now, those are the first three. Now, this last one's kind of a bonus. Uh, Many of you have reached the age where the first three tips... You just kind of sit there and nod your head and grin and amen and say, yeah, yeah, those are good ideas for those kids. But you've reached that age of so many years of marriage that the first three really didn't bother you much. Now, I don't know when the hardest years are. Some people talk about a seven-year itch. that you've been married seven years, people divorce more. I don't know. 
There are certain crises that cause problems in marriage. Uh, an empty nest sometimes precipitates divorces because you both focus completely on the kids and not each other, and you got nothing in common when the kids leave. I, I, all of those are kind of hard times. But what I want to say in the next one is many of you are at the stage in marriage where divorce is a ridiculous thought. Yeah, it, that's not, you don't even think about it. You're going to live the rest of your life together. So this bonus advice is for you. Number four, finish strong, but finish realistically. Here's what I mean. This advice is because of how seriously you have taken your vows and how well you've kept them. And some of you, at this late stage in life, some of you are going to live to be a 100, both of you, and you're going to lay down one night in the same bed and you're not going to wake up. You're both going to die. Yeah, that's an ideal thing. That would be a beautiful thing. And when I say some of you, I really mean, no, nobody's going to do that, probably. Somebody might. What's more likely, what's much more likely, is one of the spouses is going to die early. Or one will get sick and the other will become a caregiver. Okay? That's what's most likely to happen in real life. One of those cases. Now, here's why I'm telling, talking about this. When someone has vowed to care for the other in sickness and in health until death, and you've kept every other vow for 50 or 60 or 70 years or whatever, sometimes that person feels covenant-bound to the... To the last day. They feel that they think they've got to do it alone and single-handedly. I vowed to take care of you until death. And I'm going to do that. Okay? That's not always possible. Okay? It's not always best. It's not always wise. Okay. And most of you know that I know what I'm talking about. My, my dad took that so seriously, he had promised to take care of mom until she died. And he almost killed himself trying. Okay. It wasn't the wisest thing. But he had in his mind that he had to do that, and he had to do it alone. And he wouldn't listen to us. Sometimes you need professional help. Sometimes there's better options. So what I'm saying here is listen to other people who have been there. Listen to your children if they're trying to tell you that this isn't, this isn't good for you. There comes a time when you've fought the good fight. And you need just a little bit of help to finish the course. And that's all right. You can finish as strong as you can. But finish realistically. Those are my four tips. Let me close with reading a thing about commitment. And I actually can't remember who I got it from. It 
call this legend if you want. I, I think it's James Dobson's grandfather or something wrote this, but I'll have to research it, see if I can find it again. This is written before marriage to his wife. He said, I want you to understand and be fully aware of my feelings concerning the marriage covenant which we are about to enter. I've been taught at my mother's knee and in harmony with the word of God that the marriage vows are inviolable and that by entering into them, I am binding myself absolutely and for life. The idea of estrangement from you through divorce for any reason at all, although God permits one infidelity, will never at any time be allowed to enter into my thinking. I'm not naive in this. On the contrary, I am fully aware of the possibility unlikely as it now appears, that mutual incompatibility or other unforeseen circumstances could result in extreme mental suffering. If such becomes the case, I am resolved for my part to accept it as a consequence of the commitment that I am now making and to bear it, if necessary, to the end of our lives together. I have loved you dearly as a sweetheart and I will continue to love you as my mate. But over and above that love, I love you with a Christian love that demands that I never react in any way towards you that would jeopardize our prospects of entering heaven, which is the supreme objective of both our lives. And I pray that God himself will make our affection for one another perfect and eternal. Brothers and sisters, that's commitment. That's the kind of covenant marriage that I'm talking about we need to restore. Next week, next week we're going to talk about restoring the roles that God has established for man and woman. I don't know the state of your marriage. Uh, they're not a perfect one in here. I know that. There, there aren't any perfect marriages. But I imagine there are some in here that believe yours is beyond hope. Believe that yours is ready to blow up. You're ready to surrender. I encourage you, don't give up without a fight. Uh, fight like you're fighting for a, a covenant marriage. The sacred covenant. If you need to come before this crowd and say, I want to be responsible. I want to be responsible for restoring the covenant in my marriage or our marriage. I want the family here to come along beside us in prayer. We'd be happy to have you. If you have any other need, public, let's come. Let's stand and sing.